0: welcome to the soulful sound podcast this podcast is about celebrating the leaders teachers and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect heal and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world i am simone niles a coach sound healer vocalist and author thank you for being here with me today Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to our new listeners to a new episode of the Soulful Sound Podcast. I'm joined by the wonderful Steve Taylor, PhD, who is the author of The Adventure, a Practical Guide to Spiritual Awakening, and many other best selling books. He's a senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University and the chair of the transpersonal psychology section of the British Psychological Society. Hartoll has described his work as an important contribution to the shift in consciousness which is happening on our planet at present.
1: Welcome, 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 Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Simone. Nice to be here.
0: Wonderful. So I like to kind of top and tail my podcast simply with the question of your journey. How did you get into the work that you're doing? And of course, with your book, I mean, a little bit perhaps about your own spiritual awakening adventure.
1: It's been a long adventure, that's for sure, and a challenging adventure at times as well. Yes. Um I guess it started when I was uh, when I was uh, a teenager. That's when I first became aware of a, a spiritual aspect to my personality, even though I didn't know the term spiritual back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my parents weren't religious or spiritual, so I didn't know anything about spiritual or religious things. But um, when I was a teenager, I started to have spontaneous spiritual experiences, feelings of connection to my surroundings feelings that everything everything around me was alive and interconnected, everything was sort of in harmony, and there seemed to be a strange meaning that would mm. just seem to exist in the air around me as a part of the atmosphere. And yeah. at the time, you know, I thought, you know, what's going on? What what do these experiences mean? So I was quite confused. But, but later on, when I was in my early 20s, I began to read books about spirituality and mysticism, and I thought, ah, you know, I'm not crazy after all. Other people have these type of experiences. Yeah. So... At that time, my main—I was a musician back then, so I spent many years as a musician. But once my musical career had failed ignominiously, <laughs> then I uh, then I decided to go back to university to study to be a psychologist. Partly because I wanted to understand these spiritual experiences, and mm. I wanted to understand, um, you know, why why they occur and how many people have them, and can they become a permanent state? And that's basically yeah. what I've been I've been studying ever since
0: that's awesome well i'm a musician too hurrah what do you play (laughs) singing a little bit of piano i i say my voice is my main instrument i play a lot of instruments badly let's put it like that apart from the voice apart from the voice
1: (laughs) (laughs) great great
0: (laughs) amazing Okay, so obviously your book, your book is called, uh, Your the, the subtitle is A Practical Guide to Spiritual Awakening. And so you spoke a bit about your journey. So what is spiritual awakening in your words? What does that mean?
1: It's uh, it's something that, you know, it's sometimes associated with religion or spiritual traditions like Buddhism or Taoism or yoga, but it can actually occur outside those traditions. I think of it as a natural human experience that, that, that doesn't need to be interpreted in in those terms. It can happen spontaneously to everybody, even people who don't classify themselves as religious or even spiritual. Yeah. And it's it's basically an opening. It's an expansion of awareness. It's Mm -hmm. an intensification of awareness. So everything about, you know, our vision of the world becomes more intense. Things around us look more real and more beautiful. We feel a deeper connection to our own being. We feel more connected to other people. We become more empathic, more compassionate towards other people, and we feel more connected to nature. Nature becomes more real and alive and more beautiful. And so it's it's partly expansion, but it's also about connection, it's about transcending separateness and yeah. feeling connected to everything.
0: Do you feel called to use your voice and sound in a healing capacity? Learn how to use your voice therapeutically to facilitate healing and well-being. Whether you want to go deeper in your own healing journey or facilitate others in theirs, this training is for you. This online training runs over five weekends and offers theory, practice, resources, and support on your path to becoming a qualified sound healer and for your personal healing journey that's beautiful that's beautiful and i'm curious because obviously you've you studied psychology you're a psychologist you do all of this amazing work how do you marry the two because there are a lot of people who uh you know like you said wouldn't necessarily call themselves spiritual or religion religious or kind of feel connected in those ways you've just described but they would come to you for therapy and you know to work on the matters of the psyche and the mind and so mm-hmm. on so how do you marry the two things in in your work right now mm-hmm.
1: It's true that a lot of psychologists are quite sceptical about spirituality, or yeah. they would ex- they would explain spiritual experiences as something, oh, something strange is happening in your brain, it's like an imbalance of chemicals or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, they try to reduce it to like biochemistry, but I think that's a flawed approach. I think spirituality should be part of psychology because it's about yes. human potential. You know yeah. what 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 we think of norm, what we think of as as a normal human state is not the end. You know there are lots of levels beyond normal which we can progress to and that's what really spirituality is about it's about going beyond normal psychology and you know accessing our deep human potential exploring deeper levels of awareness Mm -hmm. so it it should be part of psychology but i mean psycho a lot of psychologists just sort of cut themselves off at at normal i think that that's it you know as long as you're normal that's fine you know you can function (laughs) you can hold down a job you've got good relationships you can you know that's that's it You've you've attained your goal in life. But, you know, but that's, uh, you know, there are lots, there's lots beyond that. Of course. So there is actually a field of psychology called transpersonal psychology, which I'm involved in. And that tries to integrate psychology with what would normally be called spirituality. Yes. Without necessarily discussing it in religious or traditionally spiritual terms.
0: Yeah completely that's beautiful well yes it is true that very often it it kind of is this kind of fit in the box status quo way of looking at it and that potential cannot be limited that way or it people can do that but it's not the healthiest way in order to kind of fulfill and express ourselves and our potential we need to stretch beyond those limitations so i i love the way you've described that
1: yeah you need to go beyond consensus reality too you know we, we live in a culture that that explains the world in material terms or physical terms. you know a lot yeah. of people believe that the physical is the only reality. so what you mm-hmm. see with your senses is all there is. yes and, and yeah. you know yeah. you are essentially a biochemical machine made up of genes and molecules and chemicals and all of nature is mechanical because it's all of nature is just a, made up of biological machines. So the yeah. world becomes kind of desacralized it becomes kind of mundane and mechanistic and mm. when we see the world in that way it allows us to exploit nature as well because nature is not alive it's you know it's, it's, it should be there just for for our own usage usage yeah. so it devalues the world it devalues ourselves and it devalues mm-hmm. the world but when you see the world in spiritual terms then everything looks completely different you know you yes. see the sacredness of things and you you see the interconnectedness of things
0: yes. and you
1: realize that the the standard view of reality which we're taught at school and which flows through the the mass media you know, he's only part of the story. It's by no means the ultimate reality.
0: Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. And I know that you speak about the spiritual awakening or awakening in general is one of the greatest adventures that we can undertake as human beings. And I love that you use the word adventure in that. Well, how so? How can it be one of the greatest ones we undertake as human beings?
1: Well, I mean, we've reached a point in our in our culture. You know, we, we've been to the moon. You know, we've, ex- <laughs> we've explored every part of the earth's surface you know we've even travelled to to different planets um and we've basically we've explored the human body to its limits we've you know we've explored every molecule of matter with microscopes and through quantum physics but so so now you know the kind of the the, the external adventure is kind of over in a sense not, there's nothing more to be discovered but the inner adventure is a completely different story. You know, we've only really just begun to explore our inner world. So there's, mm. the, there are lots of continents within us that we yeah. haven't yet, you know, explored or discovered. So that, that's the adventure I'm talking about, I'm talking about the inner adventure, you know. Yeah, of course. And I think a lot of people learn that, again, another part of our social conditioning is that we're conditioned to think that happiness is something external
0: mm. that we can
1: gather or attain by having certain things, by doing certain things, or, you know, by, by achieving, by reaching a certain level of achievement um, and so forth. Or even, you know, by meeting certain people, spending time with certain people. Yeah. But you, But re- I think certainly, certainly when you get older, you reach a point where you think, oh, that's not really, it's not really happening. You know, I've, I've tried all these things. I've got mm-hmm. all of these possessions. I've met all of these people. I've had all, the, all of these experiences. Yeah. but I don't really feel that different, you know something seems to be something's still missing. I'm mm-hmm. still not happy, so that's yeah. when you begin to turn inward, yeah and you begin the inner adventure and then you realize oh you know there's there's something more to life and there's something more to me,
0: yeah you know and,
1: yeah. and you you begin to find that you know this you begin to realize that this is the the real way to happiness
0: yes exactly happiness is an inside job I love to say and I and I remember um, one of my children when he was really young I mean not everyone can can say this is what I want to be or do when I grow up but I remember uh, he was about 11 years old at the time and someone asked him so what do you want to be when you grow up and his response was happy and I just thought That I was so proud of that response because it's like, I don't know, but as long as I'm happy and understanding it's not about all the things that I'm going to be doing necessarily in the world, it's a state of being. It was, I was, it was a proud moment for me. So I love to tell that story.
1: Children are spiritual teachers, aren't they?
0: Oh, yes. They certainly (laughs) are.
1: (laughs) I remember, I remember I was going away for the weekend and I said to my son, he was maybe seven at the time, and I said, Are you going to miss me, Bill? And he said, but you're here now. <laughs> <Have>
0: they... Yes.
1: Why <laughs> not? <I laughs> that's great.
0: That that future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that it was, it was like it. a lesson to be present, and you know.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, they're like uh, they're like mindfulness teachers.
0: I I truly believe that. <laughs> yes, there's so much we can learn. That that's a beautiful um, gift when we're when we have children around us. So
1: yeah, that that's true. Yeah.
0: Yes. I so my son.
1: A... Yes. So, go sorry. for it. Go just for it. it. Your son. My yes, son he used to when, like a lot of toddlers. When he was three or four, he used to just stop all the time. We were walking somewhere. And I was thinking, Oh, we got to we got to get there. We're late. And he'd just stop and pick up things and look at stones and leaves and crisp packets, chips packets. hmm So after a while I thought, you know, we're not gonna get there. I'll just I'll join in with him. So I started to look at stones and look at leaves. So yeah, it was a it was a lesson in being mindful.
0: Yeah, and that level of curiosity and play is lost so much in us as adults, isn't it? And really being able to come back to that, and it's what I love about the voice—getting people to just play and let go and improvise—it offers such a level of freedom um, yeah. when you can be curious: it's what can, what sound can I make? You know, what what stone can I touch? And that level of curiosity is so important.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a state of openness and spontaneity.
0: Beautiful. So I'm really curious about these eight qualities of wakefulness and how you decide, how did you decide to choose what to put in the book and so on? Because I can imagine there's so much thing, there are so many things that you can explore. So tell me about those eight qualities of wakefulness.
1: The the eight qualities arose partly through my, my research as a psychologist. I've spent many years interviewing people who've undergone spiritual awakenings and um, often the people i've interviewed have undergone an awakening following a period of trauma such mm-hmm. as a, a diagnosis of an illness like cancer or a bereavement perhaps a long period of depression or a long period of addiction so they've undergone this this shift this expanse this shift into a new expansive awareness mm-hmm. which is spiritual awakening and it was these eight qualities which people kept commenting on you know these eight themes kept emerging from their Descriptions of their experience and their behaviour, but also the, the qualities are also discussed in um, almost all of the world's spiritual traditions. And it, it partly comes from my own experiences too, because I've I've become aware of these traits within me too. Yeah. So, the, so briefly, I'll, shall shall I briefly go through the eight qualities?
0: Yes, I would love that, please. Yeah.
1: So the first one is disidentification from the ego. And that means basically freedom from the, the thinking mind, the thought mind, mm-hmm. realizing that you are not the thinker, you are the observer of your thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and in some ways, that's the um, that's the initial quality in spiritual awakening. You know, it's, that's the first step in spiritual awakening when you realize that there is a space between you and your thoughts. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then we move on to to gratitude. Or overcoming the taking for granted syndrome becoming aware of all of the blessings in our lives Mm -hmm. rather than taking them for granted. The third quality is presence. I call it freedom from time when we're no no longer thinking about the future or the past, but being purely mindful or present to our Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. Then altruism, giving to the world. That's one of the strongest themes in spiritual awakening is altruism or compassion or kindness. Yes. People live lives of service. Mm -hmm. I I often describe that in terms of um, shifting from a mode of accumulation Mm -hmm. to a mode of contribution. Or or shifting from taking from the world to giving to the world. Mm. And then there is acceptance, which means not resisting the reality of our lives, becoming one with the reality of our experiences. Then integration or harmony with the body, which means bringing the body into our spiritual development, rather Mm -hmm. than thinking of the body as something inferior or something other to us. Then the seventh quality is detachment, by which I mean not depending on external things for our happiness or or our identity. So that means um, I'm speaking about things like uh, ambitions or uh, possessions. Yes. Beliefs, success, achievements, and so forth. Not deriving our happiness from any of these things, but deriving happiness from an inner state of being. Mm. And finally, the eighth quality I discuss is embracing mortality, which means becoming aware of the, the reality of our predicament as human beings, that we are living in a temporary body, in a temporary world, uh, that you know one day this form will dissolve away yeah and and you know who knows what will happen after that but you know it means becoming aware of the fragility and the preciousness of our human existence
0: mm. wow there's so there's so many nuggets in that um some really interesting themes to pull from so i'll kind of go back up to the some of the first that you mentioned so disidentification now i know that your book is a practical guide so as you've just outlined them, can you give some, maybe one tip that you think could be helpful for each of them, but even if we don't mm. go in order, like if you think about the disidentification from the mind, from the thinking mind, what are some of the ways that people can find that space between themselves and their
1: mm. thoughts? Well, one um, useful practice that I recommend a lot is to think or to, to to consider the thinking mind or to, to consider thought as a process. I mean, normally we have a stream of thoughts which is passing by, thoughts about the future or past, associations about other people or about conversations we've heard. Yeah. It just kind of streams through our consciousness. Usually whenever our attention isn't occupied by an activity or an entertainment, when our minds are kind of uh, uh, are unoccupied. And usually we get carried away by that stream of thought and it, it affects our mood. If we think a negative thought, we feel negative. If we think a positive thought, maybe we feel it puts us in a good mood. But often our thoughts gravitate towards worries and anxieties. They hark back to problems we've had in the past or problems which we feel we, we may encounter in the future. So it's it's generally it's a, a negative experience to identify with your thoughts. Mm. And also there, there's a basic restlessness in thought because it's kind of incessant. It creates a certain restlessness within us mm. so one 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 process I recommend one practice I recommend is to be aware of that stream of thought as a process. So first of all, I ask people to give their attention to their breathing just to be aware of their breathing for two or three breaths. We can do that we can do that now if you like. Just be aware well, of sure. our breathing for two, three breaths, just follow the air as it enters and leaves our nose. Just observe the process of breathing with your, with the air flowing in and out. Your stomach rising and falling with your breath. And then let's switch our attention to the heart and be aware of the process of your heart beating. Maybe you can feel the pulse of your heart Just follow that process. Observe that process for a few seconds. Then let's be aware of the process of the blood flowing from our heart all around our body, into our legs, down to our feet, all over our body, down through our arms, to our hands up to our heads just be aware of that process of the blood flowing all around your body circulating be aware of yourself as of the observer of all three of these processes at the same time, breathing your heart beating, your blood circulating. Then bring your attention into your mental space. You might be aware of some thoughts, some associations flowing by, and treat them in the same way that you treated the other processes. Just see them as a process which is taking place within your mental space and just observe the process taking place in the same way that you observed your heart beating or your blood flowing, your breathing be aware of the space between you and that process of thinking Be aware of yourself as the observer of that process with the space between you and that process. And finally, just be aware that you don't have to identify with the process of thinking in the same way that you don't have to identify with your heart beating or your breathing. And if ever you find yourself getting carried away by the content of your thoughts, getting immersed in your thought chatter, just bring yourself back to the place where you observe the process and feel the space between you and the process. And we can bring that exercise to a close now.
0: Mm. Love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it's actually true. It is just a process. We don't need to, mm. you know we don't have to let our thoughts make us miserable or make us worry about the future or feel guilty about the past because it's just a process that takes place within us and we don't have to let ourselves be carried away by it.
0: Yeah, I found it very interesting. Um, In my own practice, working with the breath, uh, working with the heartbeat, those things feel so familiar to me that I was able to go there very quickly. When you started speaking about the blood moving around the body, that was really fascinating for me to notice. And I could literally feel the energy shift in myself, which was really lovely. Um, Then when we came to the thoughts, it was, it was great. I mean, I have a, I would say a a long-term meditation practice. So I feel really um, comfortable with letting go and letting the thoughts kind of pass by. But interestingly, Every time I noticed the thoughts passing through, it was to understand the process that we that you were actually kind of Ah, taking me through. And I was like, okay, I'm still going to let those go because I want to really embody the the, the exercise and then I'm going to let them come back in. Hmm. So I have a question around that. And because you obviously have a background in psychology as well, um, you will make sense of this question for me, I think, which is. What that felt like on some level was taking what um, certain processes that are normally unconscious things that happen. We don't consciously always think of the breathing and all the other things happening in our our body. Thankfully, the unconscious mind is able to handle a lot of that. Mm. In, In a sense, it felt like the conscious mind was going to, into the unconscious area. I know it's not possible to actually have one yeah. go to the other, but that that's what it felt like was happening on some level because it was like not making it a, a conscious act anymore, but you called it process. Could yeah. you speak a little bit to that? I, I hope I'm making sense. I'm... Yeah, that, that makes
1: complete sense. I mean, okay. especially in terms of the thought, our, our thinking mind, because yes. you know, to me, that's what unconsciousness means. Unconsciousness means being wrapped up in your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, and allowing your mood to be dictated by your thoughts and not realizing that you are you know that your true identity exists apart from your thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's the what you know I would define on one level on consciousness in those terms. Okay. So to be to be conscious, yeah to be conscious is to observe your thoughts and to realize that you are not your thoughts. You are right. the observer. Okay.
0: So that's very different from where I was coming from, and I like that reframe. So I was referring to three three parts of that exercise being very much bringing our conscious awareness to unconscious processes in the body.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then,
0: I, and then I, the conscious mind where we think and we're conscious of our thoughts, making that, in, um, placing that in the same processing center. That's really yeah. beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's how I understand it too. Yes, mm. beautiful. Yeah. And that's, in a way, that's what spiritual awakening is. It's uh, it's waking up from out of unconsciousness. It's being mindful of processes which are normally automatic.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, that applies to perception too, because I think normally, you know, our perception of the world around us is automatic. You know, we don't, a lot of the time, especially when we're in familiar surroundings, it's yes. different when we go on vacation, but when we get when we're in familiar surroundings, we don't really look at the objects or the phenomena around us because they're so familiar. So, yeah. you know, we don't really perceive their their realness or their beauty. But, you know, one of the differences between spiritually awakened people and others is that they they have a, a constant freshness of perception. Mm. You know, everything, even familiar objects, retain their beauty. And that applies to people too, you know, that, that it, uh, yeah. this connects with taking for grantedness. They don't take people for granted. Mm. Still aware of the, the beauty of a person they've been together with for decades, you know, because they, they have a freshness of perception
0: yeah yes that's awesome yeah and I think that comes back to some of the the, what we spoke about earlier that curiosity and that play you know to go back to a place that you know and see it with fresh eyes is a perspective shift even if the place is the same and there's very often there's something that you didn't notice before
1: yeah that's right yeah it connects to it in the book I've got one of my favorite exercises is about gratitude Mm -hmm. and um you know, because this applies to gratitude, we we take so many things for granted because they're you know they're, they're familiar to us. You know, we just we rely on them and we've we've forgotten we forget what it's like to not have them. Yes, but um, I, I was very I was always very fascinated by the astronauts who went to the moon. Uh, the, the, I think it was about twenty American astronauts who went to the moon in the late sixties and early seventies, and they all most of them went through you know profound transformational experiences when they were on the moon looking down at the earth and when they returned to earth, everything seemed different to them. Mm. And one of the major aspects of their transformation was that they no longer took anything for granted. You know, that when you see the earth from space um, you see it as this tiny bright oasis surrounded Mm. by the darkness and the nothingness of space. Yeah. So the astronauts realized, go, everything that I, that I love everything that I enjoy. All the people I love, every activity, every place that I love—it's all there on this tiny spot in yeah. the midst of space. Yeah. So, I, so I have a visualization exercise when I guide people to the moon and, oh. and ask them to <laughs> to look at the Earth from space and to savor all of the aspects of their life that are are down there That's on this cool. in this tiny oasis.
0: Um, just out of curiosity, do you have your book um on Audible as an audio book yet?
1: i do yeah okay yeah.
0: great because it was very pleasant to hear you um guide the exercise i can imagine it will still pop from a page um but if you have it in with your voice and something um you know audible i think that's going to be super powerful so that's amazing and we'll yeah. talk more about about your book and and the event and everything that's coming up um coming back to some of those you know those um things that we just discussed you also spoke about um I think you said accumulation to contribution, kind of shifting our life or lifestyle from accumulation to contribution. Can we speak a little bit more to that? Because I know that we are, and as you said earlier, this very material, physical realm, this three-dimensional world, if you like, that we're on. And It is very much a conditioned um, practice to accumulate things, to achieve, to grab, to get to this and and all of that. So what are some of the ways that people can make that shift? Because I think it's a really, I mean, they're all important, but I think it's a really potent and ripe thing right now in the world.
1: Yeah, I think people, a lot of people are shifting away from uh, accumulation to contribution. Mm. Partly as a realization that, you know, I think more and more and more people are beginning to realize that accumulation does not bring well-being. Yeah. But contribution does, you know. Paradoxically, one of the one of the best ways of practically the only way in which money can make you happy is by giving money away. So mm-hmm. it's kind of paradoxical. But yeah, there, there are lots of practices that, that I recommend. I, I offer I, I suggest three simple life practices and which I follow in, in my own life. Yeah. And the first one is what i call is very very simple the first one is what i call conscious attention or respectful attention and by that i mean that whenever you you know interact with somebody in your daily life whether it's a person at the supermarket or at the shop or the person at the bank or the bus driver anybody you interact with for a moment give them respectful attention mm-hmm. you know so don't don't treat them um you know as if they're not there don't daydream or you know tap away on your phone while you're with them give them respectful attention smile sp- or speak to them best of all and you'll be surprised at the effect it has you know people respond to respectful attention even if only unconsciously whereas they 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 also respond unconsciously to to ignorance or indifference you know in a negative way and mm-hmm. um, i also suggest what i call radical friendliness <laughs> and uh, you know, this partly comes from my own experiences. When I was younger, I had no social skills as a teenager, probably like a, a lot of teenagers, but uh, for a long time, I didn't really know how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I found it really difficult to make casual conversations. So I kind of avoided casual conversations, and people thought I was a bit miserable mm-hmm. or a bit shy or quite shy. But now that I'm older, I really love having casual conversations with people. Yeah. So whenever I'm in a shop, if somebody's standing next to me in the queue, or if I'm on a bus with somebody sitting next to me, or a train with somebody sitting next to me, or if I'm on a taxi. I always make casual conversation with the person. Mm. I always try to be friendly to them. Um, and they always respond, you know. I, I can't think of any situation where people haven't responded in kind. People always respond to to friendliness. Yeah. And it's it's lovely because it creates a bond, you know. At the end of the day, you feel as though you've created a bond with different people. Mm-hmm and i think those bonds are really important even though it's very small you know if everybody could create those bonds in their daily life the whole you know the whole world would become more interconnected yes we would you know we would transcend the separation which divides us yes and finally the third simple practice is i recommend conscious altruism and i recommend this to my students at university we have a session on altruism at university and i say to the students okay we've got a week until next week's session I want you to go away and practice as many acts of altruism as you can, as many acts of kindness and generosity and make a conscious effort every day to, to be generous and altruistic to people. And yeah, you know, everyone was, almost everybody engages with it. And when they come back the next week, they look different. You know, they're, they're, really happy. They're kind of radiant. And, and I say to them, so how, how did it go? And they say, Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I feel really connected to people. I feel yeah. I've got this real high from helping people. Beautiful. And so I recommend, you know, making a conscious effort, effort to be altruistic, even if it only means complimenting other people, mm-hmm. compliments are a form of altruism Um, you know, helping other members of your your neighbors or community or mm-hmm. your family. But, you know, the, the power of altruism is the power of altruism can be very intense. You know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I think back to some of the most important experiences in my life, they were when people were altruistic to me, when they showed yes. me selfless
0: kindness
1: yeah yeah um so so those are simple practices but they they can be really effective
0: Mm, yes i mean there are a few things that come up for me with that and one is culture because i am um, originally from barbados and trinidad in the caribbean and we are a very warm and friendly culture So as you speak about that, I recall having to consciously make an effort moving from the Caribbean to the UK, London, specifically where I've been living for the past 27, oh my gosh, 27 years. Um, to not lose that because it wasn't always met in the way that was familiar to me when I first moved. Good morning. Hi. Can I help you with this? And, you know, just really being present and friendly and helpful in all the ways. And I would say that is something that was cultural, not just how I grew up in my family, you know. Um, So I think that's really interesting because I think there is an element of uh, really being, as you said, the conscious piece of it, the conscious part of it. Um, And then also understanding the ripple effect that this has. So that interconnectedness that you're referring to, Mm. if, if someone smiles or feels better in that moment and then they walk into their door, and there's a smile on their face when they greet their their children or their partners or whatever, that small smile could have made such a difference to the miserable ah oh, on the yeah. way home, you know, so mm. not to, for us to remember how impactful these things can be on a really practical level, but how wide and far they can go.
1: Yeah, um, that's true, that's true. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a story I like to tell my students about the, uh, you may, maybe you've heard it. It's the, the, it's the, the the taxi passenger who made a whole town happy.
0: And the the story is, no,
1: it's a very simple story. A guy arrives at a train station in a town uh, early in the morning and he gets in a taxi. He's a very friendly guy or, or woman. It could be anybody. And so he or she starts talking to the driver and asking, asking him about his, his life and his family and his hobbies. And at the end of the journey, he says to the driver, oh, thanks for that. I really enjoyed that journey. It was great talking to you. And you're, you're a really safe driver. It's, I haven't felt as safe as that for a long time in our city. So the taxi driver's in a really good mood. He's wow, you know, he's really cheerful. So he's really friendly to all these passengers. He puts them, all, all of them in a good mood. And all of those people are friendly to the people they meet. Yes, yeah. Everyone's in a good mood. So by, by dinner time everyone is happy in the town.
0: That's beautiful. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. And so there's one other piece to that, that, that that's interesting for me because we did speak about happiness being an inside job and that inner landscape. A lot of the work I do, uh, most of the work I do now is very much um in, in the sound healing and the energy healing world. And when I talk about sound and frequency, it's like be the frequency, that you want to emit and that has its ripple effects. And this, another story as you were talking about that came to mind in the kind of first lockdown that we had in in 2020 with COVID and everything. I remembered going to the supermarket where you had to line up have all the distance between you, stay distance in the shop but people were panicked for whatever reason about not having enough toilet paper or not Mm. having enough of certain things. Anyway, I'm in the supermarket and I can feel and see and notice around me the frantic energy of everyone trying to get what they need for the, the world is coming to an end. Um, and I just I was about to put my hand on a shelf to grab a, the the last jar of honey that was there and someone came and took it before I could put my hand oh, wow. there. Hmm. So I just thought, okay, well, they obviously really need this honey, so I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to continue going through the supermarket. And when I got to the till, a woman uh, about two feet or whatever it was, meters behind me said, excuse me. I said, yes. She said, can I just say that I've been watching you walk around the supermarket and you are so calm Hmm. that it actually I was running around trying to find everything. And then when I saw how calm and relaxed you were, I was able to relax for the mm. first time today so I just wanted wow. to say thank you and I was like I was like wow okay you're welcome great so oh, sometimes lovely. it's it's not even the um you know you deciding I'm going to be friendly to this person it's just being that being oh, the yeah. thermostat not the thermometer
1: mm, exactly yeah that's right yeah yeah it's yeah, the, it, yeah that, that's um and that's another aspect of spiritually awaken people or or that's another thing that happens when you become when you undergo this process of awakening mm. yeah you p- people feel naturally attracted to you because you emit a kind of selfless calmness and you know partly because you're, you become naturally altruistic too yeah I think you know we we all admit a certain aura which affects the people around us
0: for sure for sure for sure and um so I want to know a bit about acceptance because this is a huge piece and i know that we're not necessarily going in order here but you speak about acceptance and why the role it has in awakening and why resisting our current reality doesn't work
1: when you resist your current reality it it kind of erects a barrier between you and reality because you're not accepting what is you're fighting what is Hmm. Um, so it creates a duality and also creates a conflict because you're you kind of you're at war with reality. You're, you're, you're striving to make things different to you, not maybe not striving is the wrong word, but you're you're wishing that things were different to how they were. And as I say, that creates a kind of duality. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that happens when you accept your predicament, and by accepting it, it doesn't mean that you you surrender to it, that you don't want to change it. It just means you accept the reality of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes that's the beginning of change once you accept the reality of it. When that happens, it's almost as if a barrier falls away, you know because you become one with reality rather than fighting with reality. So that's the I, I often talk about the alchemy of acceptance. Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect of the alchemy that this duality fades away and is replaced by harmony. Yeah. So even if you if your predicament is a negative one, even if even if you've been diagnosed with a serious illness, even if uh, one of your loved ones has passed away, it's still a really positive thing to open yourself to the reality of that predicament, to accept the reality. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't always mean that you you feel pain, you may feel pain, but, you know, there's a sense of harmony as well, maybe even a relief from pain, because you accept the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna throw a nuance in there for you to speak to for me. Now you've given very practical examples of someone um, passing away or someone being diagnosed with something and those are very clear things. But what about uh, those instances where what someone is going through is of course their perception of something, but it's not necessarily the reality. It's not necessarily something as concrete as what you might've described. How do we... um, Find that line between the reality and my perception of something and then go into the acceptance of it?
1: I think um, you know, I think with a degree of discernment, there is always a part of us which know which senses the reality of a situation. I think the the ego likes to interpret situations, usually according to our, our own desires, um or with a feeling of. Aversion to the situation that we're in. We create an alternate reality, an alternate interpretation. But I think, you know, even while that's happening, there's a sort kind of deeper aspect of our being which does sense the reality of the situation. So, you know, it's it's about sort of dropping the egoic interpretations and allowing yourself to fall down into a more authentic being where you feel more attuned to reality. Yeah. So at least I think it's about discernment, about discerning what your ego wants and what your yeah. true inner being wants.
0: Yes, and I guess that comes back to also to the disidentification piece that you would have mentioned.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Beautiful. So. Uh, What is, what would you say in in your words, what is detachment? Because you've used that word a few times. What is detachment? Like, could you give me a practical example and then how it can then positively impact our lives?
1: Yeah, I mean, detachment is one of the, one of the great things about young children. We spoke about young children already, is that they're not attached to anything. You know, they don't collect possessions. They like to play with toys, but they don't collect possessions for their own sake. Yes. they don't collect you know they're not interested in being successful uh, or impressing other people particularly they're interested in, they don't really have beliefs about reality they just sort of interact with the world without having beliefs about that we don't really have political beliefs or religious beliefs until they're foisted on them by the by mm-hmm. the by their parents so young children live in a state of detachment set of a pure a state of pure participation in the world yes. but as we get older we start to pick up attachments you know we start to choose a career we start to collect possessions we start to develop beliefs about the world we start to collect ambitions for the future ideas about ourselves later on we we start to achieve things so we have an idea that we are successful important people we have more and more possessions we have a house we have roles in society Mm. so all of these are attachments and they give us a sense of identity i guess the good thing about them is that they give us a sense of identity So teenagers sometimes struggle with identity because they don't have these attachments. They don't really have beliefs or or roles or careers or ambitions and so on. But usually by the time we're adults, we've got all these these attachments in place. Um but the problem is that they don't actually bring us happiness. In some ways, they stop us feeling happy because they kind of we collect them and they kind of obscure our true nature. You know, that they they develop a kind of false identity which obscures our true identity and one of the things that happens when people you know i spoke earlier about why people have spiritual when people have spiritual awakenings following turmoil and trauma like a, a serious illness or addiction or depression and often the reason for that is that their their attachments are broken down so they've lost their possessions they've lost their relationships they've lost their ambitions their beliefs their dreams and mm-hmm. so forth and that, that's, you know, a very painful predicament to be in because everything that you, you know, that you've depended on from your, for your well-being, everything was, that has constructed your identity has disappeared. So you're left in a kind of a void with no identity, no happiness, you know, a feeling of desolation.
0: Yeah.
1: But, but paradoxically, that's when spiritual awakening arises because you're in a state of detachment. You're not attached to anything. So often when people go through a period of pain and suffering but then they they experience a kind of liberation a freedom a, a, a kind of openness a spaciousness and that's because they're in a state of detachment. Yes. So, so I suggest that we can we can arrive at that state through other practices or we don't need to go through intense suffering to break down our attachments or egos. <laughs> we can, we can you know we can do that in a more gradual and conscious way.
0: Yes. I think it's really great to hear it described in this way. There are a lot of uh, schools of thought around spiritual awakenings themselves being the trauma, the, the the hard bit. And, you know, this is why a lot of people get divorced when they're going through it. Or this is why relationships break down. And people talk about the spiritual awakening itself as the struggle or the suffering. Um, and it's not that has not been my experience. And no. so I I find it interesting the way you've described it is it's the liberation from X Y Z and that that mm. feels more congruent for me personally.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, spiritual a spiritual awakening can occur in different forms, and sometimes do you know it does involve a challenging period. Sure. Particularly if a person doesn't really understand what's happening to them, if they experience a very sudden, abrupt awakening. <laughs> and they're sort of thrown into this different world, and they're they're a bit confused for a while. It it takes a while for it to settle down.
0: The land, yes,
1: yeah, yeah. It's got, yes. yeah, it's a question of integration
0: yeah and then the 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 thing is it's like anything new that we experience that's outside of our comfort zone brings a level of questioning and uncertainty and sometimes um dissonance before the harmony, so I completely um understand that. I really like that you the way you frame it in the liberation of or from some of these things, which is really, really interesting,
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: so last but not least because this one's a huge one for all, all of us we are all here and then one day we're all going to die right so that embracing mortality um it's it's not the easiest thing for a lot of us no. to do so let's talk about that it's a, it's it's a, a whole conversation on its own but talk to me a little bit about that piece
1: mm. Again, it's partly a cultural issue because there are some cultures in the world who, which are very open about mortality. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of the in Mexico where they have the Day of the Dead. Yes, true. Um, so it's it's quite even. You know, in 19th century Britain, people were quite open about about death. Yeah. Know, in, in the Victorian yeah. era, it's kind of like a modern taboo. Mm-hmm. And you know, in psychology, people often say that there are three different possible attitudes towards death, the three A's. One of them is avoidance, which is when you never think about death. And I guess many of us are like that in the modern world. Mm-hmm. And then there is anxiety, which is when you do think about it, but it gives you the chills. <laughs> it gives you a, a nervousness. And then there is acceptance, you know, going back to acceptance, where you you, you contemplate mortality and, you know, you, you, you're open, you embrace it. You, you accept that it, it is reality. It's mm-hmm. part of your, it's part of human existence. And obviously, the, the first two A's, avoidance and anxiety, they cause discomfort and suffering. But acceptance is the opposite. If you accept mortality, it can actually be a very positive thing. It can actually give you a, a lot. It can enhance your life in many ways. Yeah. And I've always been like that. I've always been, I remember being about 16 years old, and it suddenly occurred to me that I was going to die. It was the first time I'd really been aware of death. Yes. I thought wow, you know I'm only here I'm just this is just temporary. I'm only in the world for a certain number of years and you know it, it could happen at any moment. I could die at any moment. It was like a revelation to me but it was kind of <laughs> shocking <laughs> but but I sensed at the time that there was a freedom in it too. Mm. There was a freedom in, and this connects with detachment. when you're aware of mortality, you don't really get attached to things because mm. you know that everything is temporary, everything will be taken away from you. You know, no matter how rich you are, all your riches will be taken away. No matter how successful you are, all your success will be taken away. It also makes you very present because, you know, when you're aware of death, you are aware of the preciousness of life and the preciousness of the world around you. Yeah. So you're more aware of beauty. You're aware of the the nowness of things. Uh, And finally, you know, it gives you a sense of motivation too. If you know that we're only here for a certain amount of time, you know, if you have a path or a purpose and you have to fulfill that purpose, mm. there's no point procrastinating. You know, don't postpone anything. You have to fulfill yeah. your purpose in mm. this life, in this form. Yeah.
0: And I, I find it interesting for me personally, my uh, relationship to death, which has evolved as I as I grow, it continues to evolve, I'm sure. But I do recall as a teenager, young adult, that the... um not the avoidance, but the anxiety often came up for me around other people dying, not me. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily feel fearful of my own mortality in those moments. But what if my mother dies or my father dies or my brother, you know, and and I found that was really interesting um, when I when I kind of looked at myself and I started to explore what is it about other people's (laughs) mortality that I have an issue with. But I'm fine if I die. okay, Mm -hmm. you know um so can you speak a little bit to that perhaps if you know I'm sure other people might have feel that way or have it the other way around or or whatever speak a little bit Mm. to that if you may
1: yeah well I think it's important to be aware that life is a process you know I often compare it to a wave you know you look at a wave on the ocean a wave arises from the water it takes form it grows stronger it takes a stronger form it breaks and it slowly falls down and dissipates and eventually it dissolves back into the ocean. So life is like that. It's a process, you know, it's a process which began when we were conceived inside our mothers. And we're just like a wave which takes form, which is rolling through the Earth's surface, I mean, across the Earth's surface. And it's inevitable that we will dissipate and dissolve away and become one with the ocean again. Um. So, you know, it, it's... And, and to me... Even in the case of other people, it's the fact that it's temporary that gives it that brings such joy and, and value to life. Yeah, I love other people, you know, knowing that they are temporary. That every mm-hmm. everything is temporary. We're yeah. all forms which are in, undergoing this process of change and ultimately this, uh, you know, process of transformation. Mm. So, I mean, of of course, it's you know the, the, the fact that our loved ones will pass away. Of course, it's sad, and. In some cases, it, it's tragic when they die before their natural, you know, lifespan is is fulfilled. Mm. But it's still a process. It's part of the process of life. It's it's yeah, natural. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and yeah. um, I personally, I'm not religious, but I, you know, I'm sure that there is some form of afterlife. I think, oh, you know, our inner spirit mm. or our pure the pure consciousness, which is the essence of us, will survive the body.
0: Yeah. And there are a lot of people who describe a lot of commonalities and similarities in near-death experiences of having experienced something other than what we know, and then coming back into this physical um, existence. So I find that very fascinating. Um, As you spoke about the waves, though, my my brother's an author, and he um, wrote a book called Nami and Kai. And this book is actually about that um, perception of, you know, as you say, mortality. and, And he comes across this wave and the way the, the 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 dance and conversation between them talks about exactly what you were just describing in the wave and then they dissolve again and then oh wait a second here i am again it's mm-hmm. so beautiful um i just love i love that um bringing it mm-hmm. to that particular vision visual and the the wave and understanding how they're formed and that they're part of this big, beautiful ocean, you yeah. know, the interconnectedness, there's so much beauty in that. So uh, yeah. I'm glad that you brought it,
1: uh, brought it to light. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. It's I mean, I, I wrote a poem called The Wave on a similar theme. and Oh, nice. Because yeah, in my poem, the wave loses his sense of separation to the ocean. He begins mm-hmm. to think of himself as separate, you know, a self-sufficient wave who doesn't belong to the ocean. Yeah, And that's that's part of the the delusion of separation, thinking of ourselves as autonomous individuals.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: eventually, you know, you realise that we are, you know, every wave is interconnected to the whole ocean. And yes, every wave is connected with every wave. We're we're part of the same oneness.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Oh, my goodness. So Mm. I know that you are going to be launching this book very soon. Where can people find you right now, Steve? And tell us about your upcoming book launch.
1: Um, people can find information about me at my website, which is stephenmtaylor.com. Uh, Stephen with a V, M for Mark, stephenmtaylor.com. And I have information about my upcoming events. I have an online course based on the book. Mm. But yeah, as you say, on February the 13th, I'm in London for a launch of the book, uh, which is organized by Alternatives. Wonderful. It's being, it's, it's, at the, uh, the Rudolf Steiner Center in, on oh. Baker Street. I okay. Believe.
0: Amazing amazing
1: yeah, so I'm well if,
0: to... yeah it's going to be awesome I'm sure I'm I'm not available otherwise I would have loved to come and meet you in person oh yes, um, so. but but I got a good hour with you today I'm I'm <laughs> one of the fortunate ones um but thank you and of course I will put all of your links and everything um below um just so everyone can find all the details out but I just want to say thank you thank you for your time and for sharing um your wonderful work I think it is just amazing that you help people on this adventure, as as you call it, into that understanding the spiritual awakenings that we all go through, have access to, can, can invite into our lives. And it's just such a wonderful, wonderful work. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today, Steve. Oh, you're welcome.
1: It's- it's been, been lovely speaking with you. Thanks a lot.
0: Lovely. And so my final question, which I love to ask all of my guests, is what is your soulful sound to the world, a self-prayer or desire that you wish upon the world?
1: Um, I'd like to remind people that when crises and challenges occur in our lives, there's always a positive dimension to them there's always an an underside of transformational potential in every negative experience
0: yes wow beautiful so anyone listening and watching if you are going through anything just allow yourself to, to to see that perspective of the gem within the challenge thank you thank you thank you so much steve for your time today
1: thank you you're welcome
0: Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you
1: are.